If you will, turn with me to 2 Corinthians. This morning we will be in chapter 9, but I'm going to review a little bit about what we looked at last week because last week's sermon runs right into this one. So just in case you weren't here last week, uh, let me give you a heads up. This is Paul writing to the church at Corinth, and he is writing this letter, and the church at Corinth had um, promised to give a gift, a generous gift, um, to help those in need, those Christians in need, in Jerusalem. And in, they made this commitment a year ago. This was a previous commitment. And Paul, in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, is telling the Corinthians, he's, he's written this letter, Titus has delivered this letter to them, and they have it in their hands, and they're reading it. And what they receive when we get to chapter 8 is Paul telling them that the Macedonians, the people who live north of of Corinth, that the Macedonians, even in a severe test of affliction, even in um, these dire circumstances, they have extreme joy and they have given abundantly. Not, Not just according to their means, but even beyond their means, according to... 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3. And they were begging, the Macedonians were begging to get to be a part of, of taking care of other people who were in need. And so this just is an incredible heart, and Paul is encouraged by this, and he's trying to encourage the Corinthians by this, that these people who did not have much were still making sacrifices in order to help other people. And some of you are doing that right now. Some of you are unsure how you're going to do Christmas for your own family and you're putting a box together for a child who needs it. Some of you um, are wondering how you're going to fill your own cabinets and you see someone in need and you sacrificially give to help other people. I have seen an incredible giving heart since I've been here. I've been a part of a lot of churches and each church has their strengths and their weaknesses, um, their areas where they need to improve. And um, you can't help but notice those things when you're in leadership or just attending. Uh, but one of the strengths that I've noticed of this church is your desire to take care of those in need. And so I know that I'm preaching to the choir here, um, but I think that it's important for us to look at the scripture, and I think it's important for us to take note of, of, of what the Macedonians did and how they did it so that it can encourage us like it did the Corinthians. And so with that said, um, Paul goes on to say that he wasn't even expecting this, <laughs> that the Macedonians surprised him. And then in, in verse 6, um, they urged Titus. And again, Titus is the one that delivered the letter. And we hear about Titus in other parts of the Bible. Um, but Titus he, he is going to go and not just deliver a letter to the Corinthians, but he's sending Titus for another purpose. And we'll get to some of that as we go on. But let me, let me read a couple of verses that we didn't get to last week because we ran out of time. And, and we don't have time to look at all of chapter 8, but I, I do want to read you a couple of things before we get to chapter 9. Uh, verses 13 through 15 of, of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 says this, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, 
your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their, their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As, as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. So here's what Paul is saying in that. Um, Paul was not making a political statement. Paul was not saying uh, we should be communists or anything like that. He is just saying that when it comes to other Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, and, and this is a, dis, a distinguishing thing that I want to mention, is that in the Bible, we are to love everyone. But we are given the responsibility to take care of first our own family. And, and this is biblical. For example, in Jerusalem, when they were trying to figure out, like, how do we prioritize the money that we're giving to help people? Who needs it first? Here's what they told them. They said, take care of your own family first. If there is a widow who has family beyond her husband who has passed away that can take care of her, then they need to take care of her. And we need to listen to this advice because the dollars that we have in our church only go so far. The dollars that you have in your wallet only go so far. We can't help everyone. You realize that, right? There is enough money we, not, not in our pockets probably, <laughs> but in the world, there is enough money that generous people have to feed everyone on this planet. I really believe that. Um, however, it's not that simple because there's corruption within governments. There's corruption within individuals who would trick you to make you think they need something when they don't need something. And so that, that is all difficult to work through. But what we know is that we are to take care of the ones closest to us first. That, that, that need shouldn't even make it to the church if we can do anything about that. Okay, so if, if we have a family member who is in need, and especially according to this, if they're Christians, then we're to, we're to take care of our family, and then extended family, especially if they're Christians, and, and don't get me wrong, we'll talk about helping others later, but this is just the, the, the biblical um, hierarchy, and then um, the, the those in really in need, the widows and orphans in our church, and that's just people who, th- th- in this time, widows and orphans couldn't take care of themselves. So this isn't specifically just saying widows and orphans. This is just individuals who have a really hard time for whatever reason taking care of themselves, and we are to take care of those people in our church and in our community, and. Then, beyond that, we can start looking for other people who need help. But, you know, um, when you are on an airplane, how many of you have been on an airplane? All right, you know, uh, how many of you have been on an airplane a lot? Let's say over ten times. Okay. After a few times, you start kind of tuning out the announcements at the beginning, right? Maybe you shouldn't but we do. But someone tell me, when the masks drop down, what are you supposed to do before you help the person next to you? Yes, supposed to put it on yourself so that you're not passing out while you're trying to help someone else. You're not going to do anybody good if you're passing out. So why am I saying this? Because financially, we need to make sure that we are healthy, that we're making wise decisions, and that we're taking care of ourselves so that we can help those that are immediately around us, and then we can, can move on. 
And so biblically, we need to help others. And biblically, here's how we need to see our money. It's God's money. It's whatever God wants to do with our money, then praise God. And if that, like, stresses you out, then that's okay. But I'm going to pray that God would mature us to a point where we view our money as his money. That whatever he wants to do with it, our yes is on the table. How I missed he have corrupted that for me. But anyway, their yes was on the table, and, and now God is leading them somewhere else. And it's a glorious thing. It's just hard for those of us that they're leaving behind. Anyway, <clears throat> um, I know it's hard for you guys, too. We love y'all. Back to the sermon. Um, so it, with that said, how many of you, and, and, I'm, and look, I'm not asking, it could have been a dollar, right? It, it didn't have to, doesn't have to be much. But how many of you have ever helped someone else in need financially? Would you raise your hand for me? Again, it could have just been a dollar. Okay. How many of you have ever been helped in a time in need? You didn't even have to ask for it, but you were helped. Okay, a lot of us. Isn't it good when you are in need, isn't it good to be helped? I mean, sometimes it's hard for us to take it, (laughs) those of us who are prideful. It's hard. I I know firsthand that it can be hard to accept a gift. Um, But it's good that when, when, when God meets our needs like that. And what Paul is saying is, is that sometimes we are the ones with blessings overflowing And sometimes we're the ones in need. And Paul himself had experienced this. If you remember when we were looking at Philippians, in Philippians, Paul was telling us that, look, he's learned to live on next to nothing, and he's learned to live in abundance. And, you know, whatever his circumstances are, glory be to God. And so um, I will say that I think that we as Christians have a biblical, I don't want to call it an obligation, but an urging to, first of all, to take care of our own finances. If we are able to work, then we need to work. If we are able to earn income, then there, that needs to, in, in order to take care of ourselves, then that needs to be there, okay? Now, if we have income, Coming in, if we're, we're being, if we're, take, you know, if our previous actions or our savings or whatever, it's, that's taking care of ourselves too. But in this moment, if there is a need, we need to try to take care of ourselves first. If if God has given us the grace to be able to do so, then we look around us, and if we have family members that have needs, not just financial needs, but spiritual needs, this is this goes for everything. Then, no one else. Okay, my children, for example, have no other father. My wife has no other husband. It it is our responsibility to take care of one another. And when I get old, no matter how honorary I get, I'm expecting my kids to take care of me. Yeah. That's good. And so we 
can't control what other people do. We just have to do what we know is right. And so when we see people in need, we help take care of those needs, especially if those people are in our immediate family, our extended family, and our church family. We take care of each other. So why do I say we take care of each other first? Because if we're not healthy, how can we take care of others outside of our church? And so we need to make sure, let's be clear, what I'm saying is biblical. There, biblically, when this whole, the whole reason Paul is taking up a collection, some of it is helping him and the other men go spread the gospel in new areas, um, but this is going back to Jerusalem to help those widows and orphans that are in need. This is the gift for the church in Jerusalem who is being persecuted the hardest. And these people, um, the Macedonians, even though they're experiencing affliction, they know that other people have it worse and they're wanting to help. And what Paul is doing for the church at Corinth is he's writing to them and encouraging them, look, you are in abundance right now. You have a lot right now. You need to be faithful with the gift you promised. Because a year ago, they promised a gift that they were going to give. And we don't know why they haven't given it yet. Maybe no one has come to collect it. Maybe no one has volunteered to take it. But the gift that they promised to help those in need had not arrived. And so Paul's encouraging them. And I'm going to get to chapter 9 here in just a second. But let me read a couple more verses, three more verses in chapter 8. Verses 20 through 21 says this. We take this course so that no one should blame us about the generous gift that is being administered by us. Um, what, he, what they've done is, is not only is Titus going to de- deliver this letter and receive the gift to, to deliver it back to where it needs to go, but they're also sending some other men. They don't name them by name, but we believe one of them is Luke because in Acts, Luke wrote Acts, and in Acts, when it's talking about this uh, occasion, this area, Luke said, we went, and so we would include himself. And so just like Paul is writing this, and he says, we take this course, Paul includes himself. So the reason that they decided to send Titus and other men was for accountability. Anytime that there is money involved, our church, we will, next week we will look at our church and what, how we're using our money or if we're being good stewards or not. And anytime there is money involved in the church, there needs to be accountability. There needs to be levels of accountability. We need to to know that the money that is being put in the offering plate is going where it has said it will go. Because if it's not, first of all, God knows, and God will make people answer to what they have done. That's for sure. But let's keep honest people honest, right? (laughs) I need that help sometimes, not necessarily in the area of finances, but I need people to ask me how I'm doing spiritually. I need people to ask me how I'm doing in struggling with specific sins. And in that same way, if people are responsible for handling the finances, then it's a good, healthy, biblical principle to have systems in place to, to hold them accountable, to make sure that that money is going where it needs to go and no one's taking money out of the pot or anything like that. And unfortunately, right here in Arkansas, this happens all the time. Unfortunately, the state convention gets, the legal department gets two calls the most. The first one, that we also have things in place to help prevent this, is that someone has taken advantage of a child. The second one 
is someone has embezzled or stolen money from the church. That's today. We need accountability. Our church has systems in place of accountability to help with that. And so I, I wanted to read that because it, it pertains more to next week, but all of these, these three sermons, four sermons, are tied together, so I, I didn't want to let that go. Uh, then the last verse, so give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. So Paul's saying, look, I've been bragging on you and how generous this gift that you've promised is. I've been telling the Macedonians, and the Macedonians in their great poverty, it has encouraged them to give even in the midst of their poverty and their affliction, their extreme poverty, it says. And, and so he's saying, look, just follow through so that my boasting's not in vain. Then let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. Now, now this chapter does the work of um, expounding itself, and, and it's its own commentary. So I'm not going to have to talk much, but we are going to read through this whole chapter. Look at verse 1. Now, it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry of the saints. That's just, he's saying, you know, I, I don't even need to say this again, but here's how it is. Verse 2. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia, that's like not just Corinth, but the whole area that Corinth is in, has been ready since last year. So this gift has been ready for a year. I've been boasting about you. I, I know that I don't really have to tell you this, but I want to tell you this. I want to encourage you in this way. I want to challenge you in this way. But I'm sending the brothers, that's Titus, Luke, probably some other, one, one more at least, so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Okay? You told me you were going to do this. I have been boasting about what you said you were going to do. I just want to make sure you follow through so that you don't look foolish, is basically what Paul is saying here. Verse 4, and so that he doesn't look foolish. Verse 4, otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me, so if Paul, Paul is coming and Titus is going ahead of him to prepare them, and if the Macedonians come with him, those who in themselves are in extreme poverty and yet have given, if they come with him and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated. Now, now, I think with we, he's not just saying himself. I think he's including the, the church at Corinth and uh, to say nothing for you, of you, I should say. So he's including them. They would all be humiliated for being so confident. Verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised. So that may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Basically, he couldn't just pick up a cell phone and text one of the leaders at this church. He couldn't just call and say, how's it going? You know, we're, we're heading to town. You want to have the... So he's sending this letter in advance by Titus. And he's making sure that they're ready. And he's making sure that when he gets there, that they are excited to give this gift that, that they've promised, that they... When he saw them last, they wanted to give it. He assumes they still want to give it, but he hasn't received it yet, so he's not sure. And so he's, he says, I don't want this to be like a tax, an exaction where I'm taking it from you. I want this to be a gift that you're excited to give. Now, this gets to the heart of where I want us to be in verse 6. Because the biblical circumstance of what's going on in Corinth 
Um, there are some things that are common to us, but some things that are not. But what is said, starting here in verse 6, I believe is directly applicable by all of us, that all of us could, could do these things in our life, take this and, and put it directly to, to use. Let's look at verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, um, where I grew up, we had a bunch of crop farms. And if you decided you were going to plant the seed by hand, all right, and you took some cotton seed, been a long time since people have done this, but anyway, Let's just say you took a cotton seed and you put one down here, and then you thought, uh, let me put another one right here, and Miss Marie, I'm going to set a cotton seed right by you. All right, how much cotton are we going to reap at the end of the season? Not much. Now, let's say we're in a tractor. And we're just pouring that cotton seed out in a row. And then we turn and we go to the next row and the cotton seed, we're, we're just putting it out. And we're doing it like we're supposed to do. How much cotton is there going to be, hopefully, with the, if, if everything cooperates, how much cotton is there going to be at the end of the season? A bountiful supply. Okay? The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Now, this is a, a, a proverb for farmers, but Paul is using it in the area of finances. And what he is saying is this. If we are generous, if we give generously, sparingly, then God will bless us sparingly. Now, this is a proverb. Proverbs are not always they don't always come to pass exactly how you think they will. And if you've ever read the book of Proverbs, it's how things should be in an ideal world. If you did this, then this would happen. If you don't do this, then this would happen. Have you ever seen an evil man get rich? Anybody ever seen that? Yeah, me too, all the time, right? It happens. Um, but what, here's something we need to take into account is that their wealth is temporary because this world is temporary. And when God says that he is going to, we, we are going to reap bountifully, he is not just talking about finances. Now, sometimes we will reap bountifully, okay? But there have been plenty of times when I've given my last dollar and I did not reap bountifully because this isn't, well, let's just, in chapter 8, I mentioned this last week. I, I didn't mention it just in my review. But there is a man mentioned who sowed bountifully. He gave everything, even his life. That man was Jesus, of course. Did Jesus get rich here on earth? No, he didn't even have a place to lay his head. He didn't have a home. Is Jesus going to reap bountifully? You better believe it. At the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Every 
knee will bow. It's going to happen. And so when God says that we will reap bountifully, I don't want you to think, you put $10 into this uh, offering plate, God's going to give you 15 back. Okay? He might. But you might put $10 in this offering plate, and you don't have another sandwich after that. That's it. Because financially, physically, that's not the only way we are blessed. How many of y'all have heard of Lottie Moon? Lottie Moon was a missionary in China. It's our, our mission offering for the International Mission Board for Foreign Missions is named after her. How many of you know how she died? Anybody know how she died? A few of you? I'm not saying that, that this is the reason she died, but this led to her death. There were people around her who were starving. So you know what she did? She gave them her food. And she lost weight, and she lost weight, and she lost weight, and she lost weight until all she could do was go back home. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe she died on the boat on the way back. Did she reap bountifully on this earth? No, she gave everything. Will she reap bountifully? Absolutely. This life is temporary. Let's use everything God has given us. Everything. Our wisdom, our, if, he, if he's made you smart, use that smarts. Use those smarts for his glory. If he's made you beautiful, you figure out a way to use that beauty for his glory. If he's given you natural abilities and gifts, use those natural abilities and gifts for his glory. If he's given you spiritual gifts, use those spiritual gifts for his glory. If he's saved you, use your salvation for his glory. If he's given you money, use your money for his glory. You know, I believe that if we have money, I don't believe it's a bad thing for us to enjoy that money sometimes. I don't believe that that's a bad thing. I believe that we should enjoy it and praise God for it. Give him glory. But I also believe that sometimes, even if we have money, God calls us to give that money to those in need. And sometimes he calls us to give so much of that money that we can't get the things we want anymore. We can't get the things that we need sometimes. I'm not telling you how much to give. All I'm saying is that if you will present yourself to Christ as a living sacrifice, as we talked about weeks ago, as we've been talking about during this whole stewardship series, then God will make it clear how much you need to give. And, and, and all I've found in my life is that over and over and over and over again, how much I need to give in this moment is a little more sacrificial than it was in the moment before. And then there are seasons when I see needs, Rose sees the need, where we know we have to meet that need. There is no doubt. God has blessed us. God has given us the ability. And especially in times where we know where we, if we sow that money into that situation, it's going to produce fruit and glory for the kingdom, then we're, we're willing and ready to do that. How much should you give? How much is your preacher asking you to give to the church? 
as much as God will allow you to give joyfully. Let's keep reading. Verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Should each one give according to what the pastor told you to give? No. Should each one give according to how much your Sunday school teacher told you to give? No. Should each one give according to how much your wife told you to give? Well, that's another story. We won't go into that. Verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. If I'm preaching this sermon and you're thinking, but I don't want to give. I don't... I don't, I don't want to do this, or I don't want to give to that ministry, or I don't want to do that. Then don't give. Then don't give. But you better be obeying God in whatever he's calling you to give. And there are moments in our lives where, I, so I'm an, I know I'm a preacher. I know this might be weird to say, but I'm an introvert, okay? And that doesn't mean I don't like being around people. It just means that being around people wears me out. And when I get home, if I'm around my wife and kids, that's still being around people. And at some point during the day, I have to get by myself. Sometimes I can't even have sound on. Sometimes I just have to sit there quietly. Anybody else like this? And, and that refuels me. Being by myself, spending time with God, it, it refuels me and it gives me the ability to go be around people again. And as I'm around people, it's like my gas tank is, is, is going, heading toward E. And I know when I start getting grumpy, Rose knows. Yesterday she gave me a look that told me she figured it out before I figured it out. But I need to go be by myself. Now, since... since since being around people is difficult for me, does that mean that I should just stay by myself all the time? No, because I can't obey God and be by myself all the time. In order for me to, to obey the scripture and love one another, serve one another, uh, in order for me to, to be the leader that he has called me to be, in order for me to be the parent and the father he has called me to be, I have to be around people. And so sometimes... As uh, the great philosopher Mick Jagger said, you can't always get what you want. Okay? Sometimes we have to take a step in obedience even when it hurts. And that, I believe that that is true financially too. But if you want to know the ideal situation, and if you want to know how I'm going to handle finances for our church from the pastoral perspective... Each one must give as he has decided in his own heart, in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. How many of you have ever seen someone who just loves helping people? They're not doing it because they have to or, oh, this person's kin to me. I guess I got to help them. No one wants to be helped by that person. I mean, if you're, in, if you're desperate, then you'll take it, but... We want to be helped by the people who are cheerful about it. We, God loves a cheerful giver because it is reflective of his character. If you're going to give, give cheerfully. Don't give and think, oh, I sure would rather use this money for this thing. 
No, God, thank you for the opportunity for me to use this money for your glory. Thank you for the opportunity for me to sow sparingly. Lord, help me to reap sparingly. Lord, help bless me because he will. All right, I'm going to read here because we're out of time. So let's read. Verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. All, 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 every. God is able. He has given you, he has given you what you need. And now, that's what you need according to his standards, not what you need according to your standards. That doesn't mean that if you put some money in the offering plate, you're going to be able to afford the new iPhone or the new Buick or the new fill-in-the-blank. It means that God is giving you everything you need to, to glorify him big time, <laughs> to make much of him, to show the world how good he is. He has given you everything you need. Verse 9, as it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. God is going to give you the ability to sow, to plant. God is going to give you the ability to do that, and he is going to multiply your seed. For those of you who are being obedient with the seed that he has given you, if you run out, how am I going to bless people now? Don't worry about it. He's going to provide more. It might not be finances. It might be something else. But he is going to provide you opportunities to bless others. If your life is about honoring him, glorifying him, and blessing others for his glory not just for your popularity or for the good old pat on the back that we get when we help others, but if you're doing it for his glory, then you will not run out of seed to sow. Whatever that seed is, God will give you opportunities to glorify him. And what does it increase? The harvest of your finances. No, that's not what that word is, is it? The harvest of your righteousness he will help you to become who you are created to be. He will, make you in, he will transform you more into his image the more you give generously. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So what's the result of us sowing sparingly? It will produce thanksgiving to God. It will glorify Him. Verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints. So we start with the saints. But it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Yes, it's about supplying the needs. That's where we start. Supplying the physical needs. But in supplying the physical needs, when we're making sure that the credit goes to the glory of God and that people begin to rejoice in what God has provided, then thanksgiving goes to God. And why are we created in the first place? We are created in order to have a relationship with God. We are created to glorify him and to honor him. 
and he pours out his love and his blessings and everything we need in order to see how great he is, and he will continue to do so for his glory, for his name's sake. And we get to be a part of that. We get to sow sparingly, and we get to reap sparingly. We get to see as we bless others and help others and and support the church, as we do these things, we get to see God glorified. For some of you, you are faithful givers, and you are just excited to hear this preached because you know the joys of giving abundantly, and you want others to come alongside of you and, and join you in the work that you're doing that takes finances to do. And, and so you're excited to hear this. And for others of you, maybe this area of disobedience is something that has been blocking the blessings to come as we are reading in this. And so let's be faithful. Let's finish reading this, verse 13. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them all, for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. When we're helping others, it's going to bring glory to God. And they're going to thank God for us. And they're going to pray for us, which is good. That's a benefit. Um, But listen, how, how he ends, verse 15. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Wait, I thought, I thought the Corinthians were the ones giving the gift. But you see, when we are submitting to God, when it's all his, and we are being who he has called us to be, and we are giving, who is giving the gift? God. He might be using us as his avenue of how to give it, through whom to give it, but God is the one that is giving the gift. And we need to thank God for his inexpressible gift. Um, I'll close with this story very quickly. I had an amazing mom. I talk about her all the time, I know, because she's awesome. She provided for me and my brothers. Um, I can remember times when we were a kid when um, we didn't have electricity. You know, we, we just couldn't pay the bill. I can remember times when we would go to the grocery store and whatever the cheapest meat was, that's what, I mean, bologna, a lot. And I mean, boo-hoo. I'm not telling a sob story. It was a great, I love being a kid. I love my family. I mean, I, I, I didn't even know we were poor until I got older. And many of you grew up the same way. Um, and the other day, Rose and I were, no, I didn't go to the grocery store. That would have been a miracle. Um, Rose uh, came home with groceries, and um, she had those, what are they called? Fudge stripe cookies. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Glory be to God for fudge stripe cookies. They're so good and unhealthy. But anyway, <clears throat> so she brings home those cookies, and like I, I had a moment where like I almost cried because I saw those cookies, and I can remember being a kid and wanting to taste those cookies so much, but it just wasn't in the cards at that time. We just didn't have the money for cookies like that. And plus, Walmart wasn't making their own, you know, off-brand cookies back then which we eat today. Anyway, and I just was so happy I was, that I could 
afford cookies. But I'm also happy that God has given us, not, not just that we can afford cookies, but that we can afford to help others in need. And that is a blessing. And I'm cheerful that I'm able to do that. And I hope that if you have an abundance like that, that you will be cheerful and that you will give abundantly to the church as God has called us to do. And then through our church, we'll talk about next week all the ministry that takes place through our church, but also to your family, to those in need around you, to, to those in the community who need you. Give cheerfully and give God the credit. Tell people, God has blessed me. I'm just proud that I can help. Glory be to God. And in return, some of those people who you help will glorify God because he provided for them through you. So, I can't tell any of you how much to give. You need to give not under compulsion, but according to the grace God has given you. If God has blessed you, then I encourage you to give generously. But that has to be something between you and God. That can't be something that, I I would never do that anyway, but that can't be something your pastor or someone else challenges you to give at a certain level because you make this much money or because you have this much left over at the end of the month. This is between you and God. And I, I encourage you, in order to know how much God wants you to give, to go to him and ask him, God, here's what you've given me. How can I use this for your glory? And before we start our invitation, I'll say this, that Rose and I used to be in a spot where we just had so much debt because life is expensive, and when you're starting off, it's just hard. And we had spent beyond our means, which we shouldn't have done. And um, when we got older and realized where we were financially and started working our way out of that debt, I remember Rose and I talking about, like, okay, we're going to be faithful in giving now, but if we ever get to this point, I want us to do this. And if we ever get to this point, I want us to do this. And we made a commitment to God that if if God ever allows us to get there, then we will do that. And I pray that we're always faithful to that. And, And I hope that you, in your current circumstances, in your current situation, wherever you are, whether you have a penny left over at the end of the month, $1,000 left over at the end of the month, or you're in the red at the end of the month. I pray that you'll go to God and you'll work out with him how your faithfulness now can lead to bountifully receiving, and then as you receive, you continue to give. We're going to have a time of invitation, and this is a strange invitation. We're talking about money, Um, but money is talked about a lot in the Bible, and so it's there. We shouldn't shy away from it. And so just as we're using our salvation, our gifts, and other things to to glorify him, we want to use our finances to glorify him. But during this time of invitation, as we're singing, I'm just going to encourage you to to spend some time praying and talking to God. Spend some time asking him, what do I need to do right now? Um, Maybe it is as simple as I need to tithe. Or maybe it's I need to do this to help this person in need. Um, what do you need to do right now? And then think about long-term. What does God want? How does he want to use you financially? But think about some of those things. But this is something that is going to take more than just a song to figure out and to work through. 
So I challenge you and encourage you to sit down, if you're married, sit down with your spouse, or sit down by yourself, look at your finances, see where you are, see what you can give, see how you can use what God has given you for his glory, see how you can be wise in continuing to make money in order to use it for God's glory, but never make that money for selfish or to hoard or to get more because you'll never get enough. We're, we're talking about using it for God's glory. But you, wherever you are in your life situation, wherever you are in your financial situation, you respond to God in whatever way he's leading you. If you need someone to pray for you, you need to come to the altar, you need to respond to God in a way like that, I will be right here, and the altar is open. Let, it, let us uh, pray and stand for our invitation. Lord, we love you, and I just pray that as we uh, are coming to the end of our service, that you would bless us, that you would pour out your blessings on us. You've already blessed us so much. I just want to say thank you for your inexpressible gift. Thank you for all the ways that you have blessed us. Thank you that I have food in my cabinets. Thank you that I have a vehicle to drive. Thank you, Lord, for all the blessings that you have given me. And I pray that I would be faithful with those blessings, that you would call us to higher levels of sacrifice, that we would sow bountifully that in order to reap bountifully. And Lord, I pray that whatever you're convicting us of right now, that we would respond to you in whatever way that is. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.